Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Thank you guys. That was awesome. Well, like I said, we're going to have a blast in this series we're calling Playlist. And uh, we're going to talk about some really important things, things that I think are going to equip you in your relationships with people. And today we're going to talk about the most important relationship we will ever pursue in this life and for all of eternity. We're going to talk about our relationship with God. And uh, in case you're wondering, why is this the most important relationship? Like, I get it. He's God. He created everything. If you believe in that whole sort of thing, then I guess he's the most important relationship. But listen, I'll give you one reason right off the top, because this will help frame our whole conversation. Our relationship with God is the most important relationship we will ever pursue because our relationship with God is the rudder that steers every other relationship in our life. So in other words, if our relationship with God isn't where it should be, then our relationship with our spouse isn't where it should be. If our relationship with God is lacking, then our relationship with our boss, our kids, our career, money, everything we relate to in life won't be where it needs to be. And consequently, here's the cool part, that if our relationship with God is where it needs to be, then every other relationship in our life is going in the right direction. So, so I was just thinking about, as, as we kind of talk about this, as I was just asking God, how can we help unpack this and help people move forward in their relationship with God? I was just trying to think about what's the biggest issue, the biggest obstacle that can stand in our way when it comes to our relationship with God. And there are a lot of reasons why we don't connect and make that connection with God on a daily basis. And I think they can all be summed up by this one phrase. Are you ready? I think it's this phrase called third wheel syndrome. Now, now, in case you're not familiar with the, the concept or the, the term third will, you might know it as three willing. You might know it as your plus one. I, I thought maybe we could just unpack that real quick. Uh, let, let's take a look. I brought a picture along. This, this kind of helps you to see what it feels like to be a third will. What do you think about that? I got one more picture. If you're a basketball fan, you'll appreciate this. I'm sorry, Chris Bosch. You got to score more than zero points in game seven of the finals for me to not pick on you. But listen, being a third wheel is awkward. Like, you might be a third wheel if the sidewalk never feels big enough, right? Because you're always that awkward person that ends up behind the couple when the path gets too narrow. You're the one that can't make it through the door frame with everybody else. You're the friend that co- gets called out to go with the other girlfriends and boyfriends that are all paired off. It's no fun. You're the one that gets talked over when you're at the dinner table. Being a third wheel is not a good time. And I was just thinking about some third wheel experiences that I've had in my life. And it brought me back to this moment when I was first getting to know my wife, uh, my beautiful wife. We met when we were really young. We were 15 and 16 years old at a church camp, all right? So be careful when you send your kids to a church camp. They might find a spouse, all right? But it was perfect because she's a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor's kid. It was like, it was a great setup. I thought she was beautiful. But beyond that, I wasn't quite sure about where our relationship stood. We kind of needed to have that DTR moment, that define the relationship moment. So for about six months, seven months, we had been talking on the phone and I really liked her. And we thought, you know what, let's try to get to know each other a little bit better because she lived in Columbus and I lived all the way up here in Warren. We thought, let's, let's meet up in Sandusky, Ohio, because her parents had a boat that was docked up there on the lake and of course cedar point is there and there's no better way to find out if a girl is right for you than whether or not she can hold her food down on top thrill dragster right so 
That's, that, that was kind of the plan. And here, I, got, I had this brilliant idea because I was a little bit nervous because my wife was going to have her whole family and one of her sisters was already married and, uh, you know, then they, she had a baby and then her other sister was dating and then her parents were going to be there. I didn't know any of them that well, so I, I had this brilliant idea. I'll bring, like, a third wheel, you know, like I'll bring some of my posse from up here so that at the very least, if this day goes bad, I at least have them to go on the rides with me and it's not going to be that horrible. And, uh, you know, it will just be a little bit more bearable. I had no clue what to expect. And so I was kind of telling her of my brilliant idea over the phone and it got really quiet. And I, didn't, I left this part out. One of the third wheels was a girl and I had no interest in this girl. Trust me, believe you me, she wasn't my wife. But, uh, but listen, she was, you know, I was making preparations for her to come with some of my guy friends, and uh, I, I was so dense, I didn't understand why that would be an issue, and so uh, a few days passed by, and I didn't get as many calls from my future wife. I was kind of curious what was the deal. Finally, she had to have one of her sisters get on the phone and explain to me why that was a little bit weird, and, and here, I didn't know I was communicating this, but by bringing a third wheel on kind of our first date, so to speak, it was communicating one thing. It was communicating, first of all, that I didn't want to get alone with her, and uh, who knew? And then secondly, it was communicating that by not wanting to get alone with my future wife, that I did not want to connect with her in the deepest way possible. Now, here's what can happen in a lot of our relationships with God. We can communicate the same exact thing. We can say, God, I believe in Jesus. I've committed my life to you. I'm all yours and theirs. And uh, I really love you, God, but I love them too. And if I'm going to be in this relationship with you, God, that's cool. But I got a plus one right here, and we're going to be kind of coming through the relationship together. And let me just tell you this principle, because this applies to every relationship, but especially your relationship with God, that when we take a third wheel and we make it the first priority, then that relationship is destined for failure. When we take a third wheel and we make it a first priority, that relationship is never going to get off of the ground. And I think a great scripture is Matthew 6:33 right in this vein. We've heard it said a, uh, a thousand times in church. If you're new to church, this will be new for you. Let's let's read it together. Seek first the kingdom of God in all of his righteousness. And if you're looking for a blueprint on how to have a successful relationship with God, there you have it right there from the mouth of Jesus. Seek first my kingdom, everything that I'm about and I'm expanding and I'm building and my righteousness, everything that I am, my character. And when you seek those things first and they're at the top of the priority ladder, then you're going to be in good shape. But there's going to be, there's going to be moments where our, our flesh and our, and our human nature wants to fight against that with everything that we have. And so what I thought we would do today is take a look at some third wheels in our relationship with God that can kind of crowd our relationship. You know, three's a crowd, right? Like God wants to get alone with you so there can be a connection that happens so that you can do what he has called you to do. So here is the first third wheel, so to speak. It's this thing called our past. So we're going to talk about our past today. Let's make sure this gets up here. Make sure it's straight for all you OCD people in the audience right there. Now, now here's, here's the problem, okay? For most of us, our challenge is we don't, like, we don't like to look forward as much as we like to look back. Like it's easier sometimes to look at what's happened to us, what people have done to us, how we've been wounded and damaged, where we're coming from instead of where we're going. And you know what? I thought there, I found this scripture and I thought, man, this beautifully sums up our big challenge. And it's the people of God here 
We're talking about Israel, God's chosen people. This is Jeremiah 7, 24. Really simple phrase, says everything we need to know. And they went backward and not forward. And you know what? In our times with God, when God is trying to do something new in our lives, and we've kind of said goodbye to this stuff in the rearview mirror, our tendency will always be to go backwards and not to go forward. And I was just thinking, this seems to be a pattern when it comes to the people of God. I mean, let's just pick on Israel for a little bit because they seem to be the people in the Bible that never get it right. And I think God meant that for a reason because he wants us to see ourselves in his people because we're no different. But you know what Israel did? I was just thinking about this. God delivers them in this miraculous way, right? Sends Moses as their deliverer. Sends all of these plagues as they're in chains in Egypt. They've been enslaved for a long, long time. God, in a miraculous way, brings them out, literally parts an ocean so they can walk over it. Millions of people, the land is dry so they don't sink down. Then the Egyptians chase after them, and the ocean miraculously comes back down on them. They escape, and here they are kind of in the middle of where they're supposed to be and where they were. They're in this place called the wilderness, and they start to say things like, man, back there looks a little bit more appealing than where I am right now. And it's, it's crazy, but they even started to say things like, man, I know we used to get whipped, and I know it wasn't fun, and I know we had a lot of work, but man, we got three square meals a day. We knew we had a roof over our head. It wasn't that bad back there in Egypt. We all have a tendency to do that, right, to move backwards instead of forwards. If they can do it there, we can do it in our lives. How about Lot's wife? You ever think about this one? Lot, Abraham's nephew, He has all of this expanse of land where he can choose to to graze his cattle, to let his family settle, and he chooses to camp right outside of the most sinful city in all of the known world at that time, Sodom. Isn't that crazy? Now listen, lest we judge him, I think some of us can do this same thing, right? We we justify it. We'll say, well, hey, you know what? Um, It's close to where the kids are going to school It's a good setup for us. You know, they probably started out with well water, which was nice, and I'm sure they found a good one. But you know what? Ultimately, they started thinking, well, well water's cool, but I like city water, you know, running water. I can go there into town. I don't have to drive back and forth 45 minutes on my camel every day. It'll just be a better setup if we actually move into the city limits of Sodom. And here they find themselves smack dab in the center of the sin city of that day. Sodom put Vegas to shame. And and God sends his provision in the form of two angels, and he says, you know what, Abraham, I will spare Lot and his family, but they're the only ones I'm going to spare, and you better tell them to get out of Dodge because Sodom is going down. And and here's all that he tells, all that he tells them, he gives them one instruction, he just says, get out of the city, and then you remember what he said? Don't look back, don't look back. And, And what does Lot's wife do? For some reason, What is behind her, that sin in her past, that complacency, getting around the things that look nothing like God, for whatever the reason, it looks so appealing that she could not stop herself from looking back. And what happened to Lot's wife? She turned into a statue or a pillar of salt. How many of us in our relationship with God, because here's what can happen, if we're honest, sometimes the process of growth is painful and uncomfortable, and inevitably, when we get closer to God, God sees a little bit closer into our heart, and his light shines into all the dark areas, and we start to see our sin for what it is, and it becomes uncomfortable to keep looking the same way, and it's so much easier sometimes, instead of enduring the process of pain that is growth, it's so much easier to look backwards 
and wish we were back there than it is to move forward. And I love, I love what God's prescription is. This is just a few chapters later in the same book. This is a famous scripture. You probably never quite heard it in this context, but remember, here's our tendency. We look backward and not forward, and here's what God is saying we're supposed to be doing. Jeremiah 29 11. Let's read this together. For I know the plans I have for you, and just time out real quick. Isn't it good to know that even though we don't know where we're going, and sometimes we're in the middle of, of that process, and it's painful, and it hurts, we can know that even though we don't know where we're we're going that God has something ahead of us and he knows exactly what it is. Let's keep reading. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I love this part. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I think there are some people in this room right now that it's so easy for you to look back there because you're in that painful process called growth and we need to be reminded that ahead of us in our future there is hope and that everything that God has planned for us, if we just keep moving forward, God is going to bring us to where we need to go. And I think Paul had it right. Let's read Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13, but one thing I do. In other words, Paul, if you know anything about him, he did a lot of things for the kingdom of God. But if he summed it all up, this is the one thing he does. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this, what's behind you? Is it a relationship? Is it a relationship where you were aligned with someone that didn't look like Jesus and God said, hey, you can't be unequally connected with that person anymore? Is it an addiction? Is it a behavior that's destructive? Is it a mindset? Is it a way of thinking? What's behind you? I think just for fun, just at Believer's Church, it'd be great this morning just to have a moment where we kind of had a breakup with our past. Can you do that with me? The past is an awkward third wheel anyways. Let's have that awkward conversation with our past real quick. And in the words of the prophet, Taylor Swift, let's just say this with me, okay? Can you repeat it after me? Say, past, we are never, ever getting back together. Like never. We are so over. Doesn't that feel good? Pass us out of here, all right? So that's third wheel number one. Here's a good one. This is, this is one that gets people going. But we're in Believer's Church, and you guys, we can talk about anything here. It's this third wheel called possessions. Let's put this up on the wheel here. Possessions. Now, instead of me just sharing my opinion of this, Let's just talk about what the Bible has to say, and, and in particular, let's talk about what Jesus has to say, because man, if he says it, I want to do it. So this is Matthew 6, 24. This is just a few verses behind Matthew six thirty three. obviously, seek first the kingdom of God. Same conversation, same message, if you will, very connected. Our possessions say everything about how much we want to seek God in his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's just read in the words of Jesus. Hello. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. I'll just put it to you this way. I think it's safe to say that our devotions drive us. If our relationship with God is the rudder that steers every relationship, I think what we're most devoted to oftentimes is what we most value, right? Probably every time. And that's going to be what drives us in every decision we make in our relationship with God and others. 
And here's what can happen, because let's just take a minute and just talk about money, because money is one of those conversations that in the church is awkward sometimes, right? Uh, And it's for a good reason, because some people have been in some abusive relationships with the church where they have used money as a leveraging tool to manipulate them and to take them places they didn't need to go. But listen, let's just say it this way, because you'll hear people quote this all the time, money is the root of all evil, right? But what does the Bible say? Do I have any scholars in the house? It says, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Just that little bit can really confuse you. And so let's just put it this way. If I had a brick and I decided to hit someone over the back of the head with that brick, first of all, I'd be going to prison, okay? But secondly, secondly, that's a destructive purpose for that brick, right? But I could take that same brick and I could use it to build orphanages for starving children, right? So is the brick inherently good or bad? No, it's just a brick, and the same goes for money. And so let's put it this way. Here's where a lot of us get into some trouble. When we take something that is God-given, money, remember God, he owns the earth and and the fullness therein. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill and a thousands more. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Let's just establishing that. So when we take something that is God-given, money, and we don't allow it to be God-driven, then our possessions begin to possess us. Then what we have begins to have our heart, and it begins to crowd the space in our relationship with God. God cannot do what he wants to do in us and through us. I love Truett Cathy. Is anybody familiar with Truett Cathy? He's the CEO and the founding, uh, the founding member of Chick-fil-A. Uh, Christian chicken, how do you like that? And so listen, Chick-fil-A, we don't have a ton of them around here. There's one in Boardman, though. Did you know that they, may, they do $4.6 billion in business every year? That they have never had a year where they did not fiscally grow? Isn't that incredible? Now, that'll sound even more incredible when you know this. From the onset, Truett Cathy, who's 90 years old in his 90s now, he decided this one thing, that he was going to build a company that put God first. He was going to build a Matthew 6:33 company. And what that meant to him was every week, there was going to be one day a week that was set aside for family and set aside to connect with God. And you know what that does automatically? It puts them at a disadvantage as the world would see it because that means 52 days a year at least, they are not open and their competition is. But listen, here's here's the crazy thing. They are the number two chicken producing fast food restaurant in all of America. And they have never once suffered for doing that. And the world will scratch their heads and wonder, why is that? And I think we know exactly why it is, because they've decided not to put a third will in the first priority. And, and they've decided, Truett knew this deep down inside, that God can do more with the six days of week honoring him than he could ever do with the seven days a week that weren't submitted to him, right? When I was growing up, we, we watched my dad and my mom do this. And when I was a kid, I didn't quite understand it, but I just watched him do it again and again. I would watch them tithe. And if you're new to church, that just means you give a tenth of your gross annual income to God. That's pretty crazy. And uh, then on top of that, if God would lead them, they would be generous. All the time, they would be generous. They'd find ways or people that they could bless with extra money. And uh, there were times in our life where it was tight, but I would just watch them. They made that the first priority. They allowed something that was God-given to be God-driven so their possessions didn't possess them. 
and it was incredible to watch what God did. And you know, consequently, anytime I got a birthday card and I had a little bit of cash in there, you know what I did? I'd bring, if I got $10, I'd bring my $1 to Children's Church and I would gladly drop it in the bucket because I watched my parents walk in God's blessing and provision. And I learned early on that God can do more with the 90% with his blessing than he could ever do with the 100% without it. Did you know God could do more with your fully claimed income on your taxes and the lower tax return than he could do if you didn't claim the full amount? God's good like that. I, I love what Martin Luther says. He says, I have held many things in my hand and have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Isn't that good? So listen, here's the last one. This is a big one. This is this third wheel called our plans. Our plans. Now, this is peculiar because if we know that God has a hope and a future for us, and we know we, he's calling us to something big and great and grand in front of us, then it would make sense that it's not a bad thing to have plans, right? Like, I believe that failing to plan is planning to fail. I think that God is all about us having a plan and following through with it, most importantly, hearing from him on what his plan is for our life. But if we're not careful, here's what can begin to happen. We can begin to struggle with the in-between time. And it's a really simple phrase, this in-between moment that all of us have to experience between what we know God's promised us in his plan and where we are is this period called waiting. And so I thought it would be great to kind of wrap up our time today in this story, and again, this is the people of God, the children of Israel. I can relate to them so much, and uh, let's, let's pick it up here. It's Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Let me just set the stage for you. This is a really cool moment in time because God has told Moses and some of his most trusted Levites or his priests to come halfway up the mountain, and God, can you imagine this? God gives them permission to eat in his presence. That's pretty cool. I don't know what they ate, but I'm sure it was good. And, and listen, if you ever want some psychedelic descriptions of God, I mean, this is crazy. They are talking about God and what his feet look like, and it is insane, okay? This is just his feet. Wait till we get to heaven someday, and we see, we see God in his full glory. And, and listen, they're, they're there, and then God calls Moses and Joshua up even further. And God says, you can come see me face to face. No other man in the world was able to ever do this like Moses was. And Moses is going to receive a word from God. It's the Ten Commandments and then a ton of other instruction on where they're to go from there. And here's the problem with the Israelites. They're down at the base of the mountain. They can even see the cloud of glory settling all around the mountain. It's right there in front of them. And they're waiting on a word from God. And here's what happens. Let's read this together. Exodus 32.1. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. Can you believe that? That, that just, I mean, this is like 40 days after Moses has gone up the mountain, they begin to question, is this really something we need to stick around and wait for? We know waiting on a word from God is important, but God, can you speed it up a little bit? And listen, I just want to make this statement to you because all of us have a tendency to do this. Whenever we are in waiting on a word from God, that is always the moment where we are most tempted to create a counterfeit in its place. So let's keep reading on here. We'll, we'll see what I mean by that. Exodus 32, 4. So he took what they handed him and made it into an idol. That's Aaron, Moses' brother. He's left in charge here. He's supposed to be the man hearing from God. 
I think it's fascinating that it says he took what they handed him and made it into an idol. In other words, we can take anything and make it into an idol, right? It doesn't have to be overtly carnal or wrong or fleshly or sinful. Anything that, is not in the, that doesn't belong in the first priority and we elevate it to that place, we can make that into an idol. And, and let's read on. So he cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with the tool. Just pause real quick here. Many people believe, scholars will tell you, that this was probably the god Apis, who they actually, they, they were imitating what they had seen before in captivity with Egypt. It was this bull god, and he was worshipped in the regions of Memphis and all throughout Egypt. So they're reverting back to their past. It's always the tendency. And listen, then they said, these, this is what blows my mind. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So what is this saying here? That when we can't see our future in the right perspective, when we can't trust God with our future, then all of a sudden we can start to rewrite our own history. And they're saying that these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. In other words, they're saying, I'm not so sure if God got us here to begin with. I'm not so sure if the God we were trusting in was ever with us at all. This is the God that has been faithful through and through and shown them with signs and wonders and miracles and plagues all throughout this entire narrative. And here they are questioning if God was ever here to begin with. You know, one, one of my biggest challenges in life is I hate waiting. Like it's just, I, I'm an antsy kind of personality. And if I'm not moving or doing something, I get really bored. Sometimes if I'm talking to my wife, she'll just, I'll drive her crazy because I like to just pace back and forth on the room. If I have tiles on the floor, I'll like play a game where I just like step into one tile and the other. As I'm talking, I'm just weird. I'm just telling you, okay? I don't like to wait. And here's what happens oftentimes in, in, my, in my relationship with my wife. We'll be like at a mall and she wants to go do things that girls do with our daughter. And I'm cool with that. That's awesome. You know, they want to go try on 10 dresses and not buy any of them or whatever, whatever girls do. And, and uh, so I'm like, that's cool. We'll split up. I'll take my son. We'll go do manly things and uh, have an incredible time. But we always do this. You, you ever do this? We'll, we'll agree on a meetup time, right? We'll say, that's cool. I'll meet you back here at 5 p.m. on the dot. We'll be here at Starbucks. Don't be late. And, uh, and, and then we, we part ways. And, and here's my problem. I am such an antsy waiter that I will get there at 4.55 just to make sure that, you know, I'm there on time. I'll be sitting there, and as soon as the second hand hits the 5 p.m., I start to worry. And I start to wonder, did, did I not, was I not clear enough with my wife? May, maybe she heard me say, uh, Barnes and Nobles, and she's over there, and she's in Seattle's best instead of Starbucks, and maybe something happened to her. I should probably go looking for her, and, it, and, and inevitably, here's what happens. I leave the post we agreed on, and I start to go somewhere else. She shows up where we originally talked about, and I'm not even in the right position to meet up with her. And I'm just wondering if there are some people in God's house this morning who you just need to hear this encouragement. Just don't leave your post. Like God said to stay here and position yourself and dig your feet in and he promised you something and he has plans for you to give you a hope and a future and you just need to not give up on that. And you just need to know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even when he seems absent, that doesn't mean he's left you go. And even though you're waiting on a word from God, stay there and stay planted and watch what God can do. And maybe some of you, you just need to stay at your post. Let's give God, yeah, we can give him some glory for that. Maybe some of you just need to stay at your post in your marriage. 
Maybe some of you need to stay at your post in your church where you're volunteering. Maybe some of the goosebumps have left. Maybe some of the mystery and the majesty has worn off. Maybe you need to stay your post in this city. Maybe you need to stay your post at your job. Maybe it just doesn't look like it's all lining up. And you thought long time ago, God was going to show up with a word from heaven. And you thought you heard him say something and you're settling for counterfeits in your life. Don't give up. Don't leave your post. Let's, let's finish up with a couple of scriptures. I, I, love, I love these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 is one that encourages me. You know that when you were pagans, or in other words, when you didn't know God, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God that speaks? That, that in moments where there are a lot of people that think they're hearing from their counterfeit calf, and they think that they have the direction they need, that you can know that that's just a mute idol and it has nothing worth saying. But when you can align yourself with God and you can get rid of all these third wheels that stand in the way, you're gonna hear him speak clearly to your future and then you can move forward. How about this one, Proverbs 19:21? Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, just to, as, we, as we get ready to leave here today, one of the things that I want to just encourage you on is this. It would do you no good. It would do none of us any good if we cleaned house, so to speak, but we didn't allow God to come and occupy that space. And for some of us, righteousness, we've just convinced ourselves that it is the lack of sin. But listen, righteousness isn't just the lack of sin. Righteousness is the ability to know God. It's the right to come into God's presence. And when we can see righteousness is not just clearing all the garbage and all the third wheels out of our life, and we can see it for what it is, it's this ability to know the living God who loves us and has a plan for us, plans to give us a hope and a future, then all of a sudden our relationship with God takes shape in a whole new way. And so here's what I want to do. Let's just all have a moment with God. We can bow our heads, close our eyes, whatever you're comfortable with, but just between you and God, even if you're brand new to this, and I'll explain in a second if you don't even know how to do this. But for those of us that are Christ followers and you're like, man, I, I'm hearing you, Joe. I, I want to do that. I want to move forward. I don't want to look back. I don't want things in my life that I have to have me. Let's make a commitment, just a fresh commitment this morning that we're going to give ourselves to God all the way. Lord, I, I thank you for every single person that's here in Believer's Church this morning. I thank you that it is not a mistake. It is not by chance that they are here. I thank you that you led them here for a reason, and you have a purpose and a plan in that. And I thank you that this morning, whatever the counterfeit might be that we're settling for, whatever the thing is in our life and in our relationship with God that's creating crowded space, it's limiting us and knowing you, I just pray that you'd reveal that to us in the way you always do. Thank you that you say we can come boldly before the throne room of grace. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning and that no matter what happened yesterday, your mercy is available right this second to help us. And we receive that now in Jesus' name. Now with everybody, just your focus and attention still on God, I, I wanna give just an opportunity if you're here and you just don't know how to have a relationship with God. You're not sure what that would look like, sound like. I just, man, I wanna tell you about it because it's a relationship that has changed me and it's changed so many people in this room and it can change your life too. No matter how far gone you think you are, no matter what you've done, listen, it's by grace alone that we've been saved. That's what the Bible says. 
It's nothing you could ever do or earn. I don't care if you were baptized, if you served in a church growing up, if you went to church every weekend. Those are all great things, but in and of themselves, they are not what saves us. We are saved by grace alone and faith in Jesus Christ. What are we putting our faith in? What are we trusting in? That Jesus lived a perfect life because we couldn't and died on a cross so we wouldn't have to. And so here's, here's the clincher. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father in heaven except through me. And if you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, a miracle takes place, you will be saved. So if that's you in this moment, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, our attention is on God the Father right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer. It's just a conversation with God where you're acknowledging that you need him and that you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And here's the cool part. It means that not only if you were to die today, that you would know you were on your way to heaven and not hell. It means that you can begin a relationship with God. It means that you can know him the way we've talked about all morning long. And so I want everybody in this room that's already prayed this prayer to help us out. Let's repeat this after me. Just say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for me through the cross. I receive the free gift of salvation, and I acknowledge that you, Jesus, are the only way to the Father. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Have your way in my life. I won't be perfect, but I'm going to try my best to follow you every day from this point on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.